You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. My name is Andrew Gerza, and I am your disabled Dick Smith, and this is Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within the podcast of Disability After Dark, where I sit down with my disabled friends and my disabled colleagues, and I ask them about their feelings around the pandemic and COVID-19 just to make sure that disabled voices are heard consistently throughout this, this weird time we're all living in. So I am really excited to say that we are on episode 11 of Quarantine and Joe. We're already 11 weeks into this really weird thing that's happening. Um... And I'm really, I won't say that I'm excited by the pandemic, obviously, but I'm really honored to be given a platform or have created a platform where disabled people can share their thoughts on this. Because every week that I do it, every guest that I have that wants to share their story is really vital and really important to our understanding of how the pandemic is playing a role in the lives of disabled people. So, that's really cool. So, let me tell you all about episode 11 right now. Oh, I just had dinner and I burped. Let me tell you all about episode 11 right now on Quarantine and Chill. On this episode of Quarantine and Chill, I sit down with my good friend Claire A.H., who is a stroke survivor And she is a matchmaker out of Toronto, and we had a really fun conversation about her experience, uh, how her experience as a stroke survivor has kind of prepared her to be, as she says in the episode, quote, an indoor cat throughout all this pandemic, and I couldn't agree more with her about that. We also talk about how COVID has affected her business as a matchmaker and how things have shifted that way. We also talk about some of the things that she sees as a stroke survivor that concern her around the pandemic and around the COVID response. Um, We talk about her feeling sad that she can't see her family in the way that she used to during quarantine. A lot of conversation comes out of this one. It was really, really good to sit down with her. Also, this one is super Canadian-centric. We say a lot of things about Toronto, and we say a lot of things about the Canadian politician Doug Ford a little bit. We say things about local Canadian, local Toronto transit options. So uh, 
if you're not Canadian and you're and you're listening to this, you may want to brush up on on who our political leaders are here because we chat a little bit about them in this episode. But we had a lot of fun and I love doing quarantine and chills. And this is episode episode eleven. And we're going. Okay. Okay. Claire, hello. Hi there. Hi, thanks for coming on Quarantine and Chill. How are you today? I mean, I'm as good as one can be given the circumstances. I feel like when I like when I see matchmaking clients online now, it's no longer like, hey, how was your week? It's like, are you and your loved ones okay? <laughs> so my loved ones are okay. I am okay. I'm just, you know, living indoors and trying to not freak out. You're just doing the thing we're all doing. I get it. I get yeah. it. I feel you. I understand. Thanks for coming on this uh, special series that I that is going to be going for the foreseeable future because COVID is real. Yeah, uh, I mean, limited edition, but how limited? Who knows? I mean, it's it's a whole it's a loose series within a series. Like wow. Um, so I thought of you because you and I've been friends for a long time now, mm-hmm. and you've been on like every iteration of everything that I've ever done. So I was like, I have to email Claire and ask her to be on. So here you are. Yay! Can you Yay. can you introduce yourself to the audience if they haven't heard you before and tell them who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am Claire A H. I am a matchmaker, dating and relationship coach, and um, host host. I am host of the Tell Me Something Good Storytelling Night, but I was going to say I'm also owner of Friend of a Friend Matchmaking. Um, I do, I've done like sexuality education and I've worked in sexuality before. And then as I said, I do this uh, Tell Me Something Good, which is a sexy storytelling night that's also about like dating and relationships and sexuality and love and, and self-esteem and gender and the body. So it's kind of, it's expanded. It's on hiatus right now because it, um, happens in person because <laughs> um, what yeah. isn't on hiatus right now yeah i mean we're thinking we are thinking about doing a, a live show but it's sort of complicated because it's not like a curated storytelling night it's <laughs> it's a night where people just kind of like come up and share their stories as they want so trying to figure out a way to do that online but we're, we're working on it apparently we have time I mean, if like Zoom <laughs> does have 100, you can have 100 people on Zoom. So if yeah. you if it was like advertised the right way, I'm sure you could just get people hanging out on Zoom and then then like, hey, you want to tell a story? Just like put your name it's in true. the chat in the chat box, and then we I don't need know. to uh, <laughs> we need to figure out paid options. I think we've exhausted looking at uh, free options. So yeah, Zoom Zoom. Uh, like premium could be an option. Well, I'm actually talking to you on Zoom Premium right now. Not that oh they're God. sponsoring this episode in Zoom. If you want to sponsor me, that'd be great. But you're not. That would so be amazing. If, uh, but if you if you need help with that, I have a premium account. So if there you need go. somebody to host that for you, let me know. Ooh. So yeah, those are most of the things I do. I don't know. These days, I stay inside. Um, I try to avoid human contact outside of the ones that live in my house and. I feel like I do other things. I started writing for Now Magazine, which is really I cool. I saw that. That's, yeah. you know, as a, as a local Torontonian, Now Magazine, for anybody listening who's not in the Toronto area, Now Magazine is like our, like, indie, cool. Yeah, they're free weekly. Yeah. It's our, like, local free weekly that everybody who's artsy and, like, who does things in Toronto reads. So when I saw your yeah. a bunch of bylines and now, I was like, that's cool. Yay, good. It is. 
is yeah like I'm not like I'm not like officially on staff or anything like that but I've been since uh since people started being in quarantine there have been a lot of questions about dating and relationships in in quarantine what it's like to do video dating how the dating industry is pivoting and my latest article was about uh relationships where they weren't living together and then COVID made it so that they were living together and what that is like kind of deciding to live with someone for a number of reasons but one of them being the stress of COVID-19. That I mean wow that's a whole like I'll make sure that links are put out in the show notes for that because everybody everybody, whether you're in Toronto or not should be reading that kind of stuff because we're all trying to figure it out yeah Yeah. we're all trying to figure it out right now and that's it's really important that that kind of stuff i really love seeing the shift in in kind of covid uh like covid responses and and to see all your stuff on dating and sexuality is really important because we have so many questions about that right now um we do so many like i have a ton uh but so speaking of COVID response, that's why you're on quarantine and chill because I wanted to get mm-hmm. your COVID feeling, your feelings as a disabled person kind of living through COVID right now. Um, so I, in that vein, Claire, can you tell us what your disabilities are and how they impact your day-to-day life? Sure. So I guess like the main one is that uh, almost five years ago, May 21st uh, will be five years, I had three strokes, which um, is not the best time. Uh, It was caused by a vertebral artery dissection, which they attribute likely to overexerting myself a little bit in like yoga or dance. I was really physically active before it happened. So maybe I hair tossed a little too, too intensely, but nothing that like was actually an injury. It was just a very small cut in one of the layers of the vertebral artery, which uh, they go up to the brain along the back of the neck. So that caused, uh, I was in the ICU and then in general population in the hospital. And then I did a stint in inpatient rehabilitation and a lot of outpatient. And that's, there have been a number of things that have kind of not entirely resolved, but definitely diminished. Like I have a paralyzed vocal cord, so that still hasn't resolved, but my body's gotten better at handling it. I'm dizzy a lot of the time, but that has shifted from like really extreme, like feeling like my bed was being rattled all the time to walking is hard. If I close my eyes, I kind of fall over those things. Um, I use a cane because I do have some residual weakness on my right side, but um, also uh, my strokes were in the cerebellum and the medulla oblongata. So uh, the cerebellum controls a lot of balance, so I just have really poor balance. So a cane helps me kind of stay walking straight and not falling over, which I appreciate. Um, good, good. <laughs> yeah, I lost um, I lost sensation over more than fifty percent of my body. So from the neck down on the left side, the right side of my face, my right hand. Um, I also. <laughs> unrelated when I was like trying to go back to the gym at one point I went a little too hard on the leg press and I pinched a nerve on the right side of my body so now the right front of my leg is also numb oh no when it happened I was like are you kidding me like more but it's of course totally unrelated thing and then yeah I didn't remember everything that's happened to me because of the strokes uh like some eyesight issues uh and then I have like weird stuff like I have tinnitus now and I developed a weird heart condition that apparently is somewhat related um 
Oh, that's fun. And I, yeah. And then I just have like, I have PCOS, I'm hypothyroid, I'm diabetic. There's a number of other things going on. So that I, over sounds... the years, I, it's like, it's kind of increased and a lot of it is related to the stroke. And then there are other things that are like, like distant cousins of the stroke. So everything is kind of, it's a, a web of annoying things. But realistically speaking, my day to day is like, visibly I'm a cane user so people see that and then practically I think one of the biggest things that stroke related but also like kind of is touched on by everything that I have is I have pretty extreme fatigue still and so it's a bit of a challenge to just like be I used to be very type A I used to be very project oriented and I still kind of am but like being the person that I was for such a long time is hard now it's hard you so it's hard to like it's hard now to like be a not a type B person um yeah well just like it's if I want to be really on top of things if I want to like do a bunch of projects and really oh you mean to be it's hard to be type A yes yeah and I think it's um so I'm readjusting my priorities readjusting like what I consider success and fulfillment and happiness and that's been kind of over the past five years my big thing which I think ultimately has served me really well for COVID so we'll get into that I still can't believe that it's been five years because it's the so night weird. of your, the night of your strokes, I was just before they happened to you. I was with you at an event. And yeah, aside from my partner who I lived with, you were the last person I spoke with, and we were. I was saying essentially like, I really like what you're doing with disability and sexuality, <laughs> and like I'll signal boost it, but it's not really my place. Yeah, it's literally it's literally the conversation we had. And then, then like forty eight hours later, disability was part of your life. Oh, not even. That was probably like around midnight. I had my, I had one stroke the week prior and I didn't know, but I had strokes two and three around 6 a.m. So it was like six hours later. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it was very, very prescient of us to have that conversation. It wasn't, it was. And so let's kind of shift to COVID for a minute now. Now, as somebody living as a stroke survivor, some of this stuff we're experiencing that, that everyone is like dubbing in the media as quote, the new normal and all this stuff that we're hearing about. Some of us, you know, some of us living with disabilities kind of feel like this is rather familiar. We're kind of Mm -hmm. used to this like lockdown and social isolation thing. Does it feel familiar to you in any way? Does it feel like you've kind of been through this before? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, I, sometimes I feel like smug saying this, but this is, I guess, a good place to talk about it. I don't feel like my life has changed that much. Right? Yeah, I gotta yeah. say, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't, it doesn't feel super different, except that, like, I can't invite friends over anymore. Mm-hmm. And also for me, although I, or oh, where is I going with this? Sorry, I'm sure. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, the main thing is that although I did still go out and do stuff, I did still go out and see friends, where I was as a person prior to the stroke versus now, I don't, like, I used to really love going to concerts, and now I go to see the occasional concert, but it used to be something I would go to, like, quite regularly. I used to be out with friends all the time. I used to be taking dance classes and taking, you know, this type of class and signing up for this workshop, and since the stroke, because my energy levels have changed, it changed drastically, and I have, like, more, more, I contend with fatigue a lot. I, I do have a lot more nights in. I do have, when I hang out with friends, it's often, just sitting around and talking, which is not that different than a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really has, it kind of prepared me for this. I would say like, 
I have become, I refer to myself as like an indoor cat. And it doesn't mean I'm not still kind of extroverted and it doesn't mean I don't enjoy going out and doing things. I just, I'm not going to go to every single night that my friend hosts as like a DJ. I'm not going to go to every single dance class that's available. I'm not going to be, you know, at any concert in my neighborhood. I'm very judicious about that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a little less than I used to do before COVID-19 struck, but not that much less. Yeah, I would say the same. I'm like, I have always also kind of been an indoor cat. Like, I'm not, I kind of like my privacy and I like my alone time and I like being kind of in my own space. And so, yeah, it's tough now because then now I can't just hire like a wheel trans bus and like go somewhere. But, mm-hmm. but like, I'm also, there's a comfort in knowing that the whole world can't do it either or shouldn't yeah. be doing it either. So there's a comfort in that. Yeah, it's like, I, I've read a lot of those articles that talk about the end of FOMO, like fear of missing out, and kind of, like I just, I would, I wouldn't feel like terrible about myself that I wasn't going out to see a show or meeting up with my friends every chance I could, but it did feel like, oh, you know, I would like to go there, I just don't have enough energy, or I would like to go there, but I know that if I, you know, borrow from the amount of sleep I need, I will feel like crap for five days. So now I just don't have that anymore. And all of my friends are available for little Zoom sessions. And we have very calm conversations where I'm sitting on my couch or at my desk and and everyone else seems to also have the same like you know, I, we want to have a conversation, but we, we have other things to do where we're all kind of feeling zoom exhausted. So we don't stay on that long. Yeah. I don't know. I feel more well rested than I usually am, which is definitely owing to that. And that's also, that's also something that I think is good to hear because usually what we're hearing right now is like, no one's well rested and no one's sleeping. We're all having weird COVID dreams. And so the fact that you're, because of your experience being a stroke survivor, um, you're able to kind of use what you know to like channel the goodness out of it. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned in general from having the stroke is I've just become a little more patient. I've become, without saying it is what it is, my philosophy, which is kind of um, not a great philosophy to have. I haven't, I, I just, I've learned to be content with what's happening and being able to, without being relentlessly positive, like look on the bright side, try to appreciate the fact that things may be different, but they're not necessarily the worst because frankly, I've already had major change in my life that felt empirically like terrible or a lot of people read it as terrible and I'm okay. So this is for, for me personally, not terrible for people who are, on the front lines for people who are were like working in care and uh, in healthcare and medicine for people who have loved ones or who themselves have di- been uh, diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Th- those are the really hard things for me. Sitting at home, I'm fine. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I would agree. I think the people that the people, I think it. I think though, it's also important to like recognize the what I'm experiencing a lot of right now is disability grief. Mm-hmm. A lot of like, I can't do this. Yeah. And this thing won't happen. And like, and I've said it a bunch of times on these episodes, like I'm, I can't have sex right now. And I'm really missing that. But, but like we talked about off the air, like I also understand that like 
to stay alive and to stay healthy, that's not the best thing for me right now. So yeah, and it's I think it is really important to hold space for the fact that people are frustrated, but also have legitimate sadnesses and have legitimate losses that are not related directly to COVID nineteen, but are related to not being able to see people. You know, I have uh, my friends just before I got on the call with you, I got an email saying, oh, okay, we have to cancel our wedding. And that's really oh, no. sad and it's very frustrating, but also it's the decision they have to make to keep people safe. And I think a lot of people are making these sacrifices, which are hard. And, and it's not to say that they're not like emotionally challenging. It's not to say that it doesn't impact our mental health. It's just to say that these things are happening and unfortunately there's not currently really a way around it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that the more people realize that it isn't about just one wedding or one event, it's about the whole world mm-hmm. like fixing this. Yeah. And hopefully coming to a place where this, this thing isn't a part of our thing anymore. Um, that would be nice. That would be very nice. It's so nice. One of the, one of the things that I've been seeing, a lot of the news recently and in the in the like constant covid coverage that's happening is that they're highlighting that a lot of young people in their 30s and 40s are dying as a result of strokes from covid-19 mm-hmm. and every time i see that every, and this is part of why i wanted you on the show specifically because every time i see that article i think of you specifically because i'm like mm, i wonder how claire is handling seeing that on the news and hearing about that First of all, are you watching a lot of COVID coverage or have you kind of had to take a diet of that? Honestly, I am. Um, we're doing, so my, my husband and I, we live together. Um, initially, when this first started, we were constantly casting from CBC Gem, the like 24-hour CBC news station. And that was a bit too much. But, yeah, that's a um, lot. But I definitely, I, I would say at... Pretty much every day, we take our lunch break together and watch CBC News. And then, um, oh gosh, now that I'm saying this out loud, it's depressing. We often watch the 6 p.m. and the 10 p.m. CBC News as well. Um, I read a fair amount during the day. Not so much like news, because I tend to get that from watching the news, but think pieces about COVID-19. So like things in the New York Times or the Atlantic or, you know, those types of places. And then my husband, because he is a delightful nerd. He's been doing this thing where uh, before the Ontario government started doing this, he's been doing a COVID-19 tracker where he tracks data points about, um, you know, current cases, resolved cases, deaths, uh, specifically things, uh, numbers in long-term care homes, and then also tracking the amount of like hospitalizations over time, the amount of current hospitalizations, and the amount of ICU and ventilator hospitalizations and users. So, He's very on top of that. He does it every single day and he posts it on Facebook and, and in a Facebook group. So I've been getting a lot of the, like the raw data that way and then a lot of like insights. So I've, I've definitely seen the stuff about the strokes and it's been interesting. And how does it, how does it, how, like seeing all that as, as a stroke survivor, how does that news coverage make you feel? Like, do you feel like concerned as somebody who's been through a stroke that this is that like, this is happening. Do you feel um, kind of lucky that you didn't have a stroke during this time? Like, what? What are your thoughts? I mean, kind of all of that. Uh, definitely, it like I wouldn't say I, I feel like necessarily like triggered or anything like that by it, but it certainly <laughs> reminds me of my uh, experience, which at this point is further away. But it was 
genuinely scary and genuinely hard. And that was at the best of times when, you know, my family could be in there with me when I had, you know, nurses and doctors and care workers who came to see me were not wearing masks or gloves necessarily. We're just kind of like recognizable smiling faces and they were able to spend time with me and they were able to dedicate attention to me. I can imagine that right now, not all the, obviously like family members can't be with you, but even, even uh, the amount of attention and care you could receive would be affected because more people are, yeah, more people are focusing on COVID-19. Now, obviously in Ontario, that is, we've been able to keep the amount of especially like ICU and ventilator requirements quite low. I know that because I'm constantly reading my (laughs) husband's information. So we have been able to actually keep the hospitals so that frankly, there are fewer hospitalizations for things that people can handle at home. And there are generally speaking, a lot fewer COVID-19 hospitalizations than we thought there would be. So I do think there's still that care there. But then I think about other countries or I think about specifically New York and even Montreal right now, um, places where, you know, if you had a stroke, there are a lot of things about strokes that are very different depending on so many different variables, like what type of stroke you had, what location of the brain it happened in, you know, like how old you are, if you have any other, you know, health concerns, it can really impact the type of care you're getting. And even medical professionals don't always fully think of that, especially when it comes to communicating that to the patient. It's one thing for them to be aware of these things. It's quite another to actually explain it effectively. And even like looking back on my stroke, there were things I did not understand until like my follow-up with my neurologist, you know, I think three or six months after I was discharged from the hospital. So it was, um, it was hard. And I only think it's going to be harder now. I also, my general feeling is, and this is something I've had kind of the entire times, I've been stressed out and angry when I see, um, healthcare policy or like policy pertaining to managing the spread of COVID-19 that just thinks about the classic symptoms. And especially for example, you know, anyone who doesn't have a fever can do X when of course a fever is, that is not something that's going to present in every case. And it may be kind of a classic symptom, but we know that there are lots of asymptomatic carriers and now seeing the strokes, these are people who are totally asymptomatic, but they're just asymptomatic by the the definition of they don't have a dry cough, they don't have a fever, they don't, you know, like present those classic symptoms. Whereas like, if you, t- if you took people who were quote unquote asymptomatic and put them into a, an MRI machine, you might see clots developing. Yeah. Even if they had not yet expressed themselves as a stroke. And then there's stuff like children have COVID toes, which is like a type of rashy, I don't know, scabby thing yeah i've seen it it's toes. like a, it's like it's like a, it's like a, it's like it looks like frostbitten toes but not kind of yeah cold. and even there there may or may not be a link now between kids who get kawasaki syndrome which is like characterized by some things that are kind of like similar to the um to the classic present presented or presentation of uh covid but includes like a like a chest body rash and uh doesn't really t- include like cough or sore throat or anything like that so it's just it's kind of related but not related to the stroke stuff where one thing that really stresses me out is just seeing that there is so much we don't know about COVID-19 yet and when I think about you know 
states opening up right now, or even when I think about, you know, Montreal trying to get their, their teachers back to school soon and Montreal trying to get, you know, a uh, curbside pickup opening soon, but not really thinking about the consequences. It just feels so short-sighted to me. And so I'm scared for all these people who have these atypical presentations and who, who have not been getting the understanding and the, the clarity that they deserved and even now are so erased in the media, which just wants to say like, oh, fever and cough, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think like, I'll admit, you know, seeing just the, seeing those symptoms and not having them does make you feel, you feel like, I'm okay, I don't have that, I'll be good, but you're mm -hmm. right, there's so much of it that we don't no, and I think, I do think that any provinces or states that are opening up right now, like even Ontario wants to open up little parts of Ontario. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I, I get why, but also, like, could we just wait a little bit longer, please? Please? Yeah, I just feel scared. And I don't feel as scared in Ontario because it does seem like I'm not the biggest Doug Ford fan, but it does seem like the right people have gotten, you know, gotten a hold of things and and I think he's maybe been able to understand things a bit better he seems to be taking it slow and generally speaking our like quote-unquote plans to reopen are not set to a specific date a lot of the time and seem to be you know fairly reasonable but then you look at like I don't know places in Florida where they're like sure go to the beach do whatever you want yeah Ugh. or like half of Texas wants to open or something yeah, or even when you think about Michigan and how basically an armed militia stormed the Senate building and said, like, give us haircuts or give us death. And I guess, like, <laughs> unfortunately, that's kind of actually what you're contending with. Not necessarily their deaths, but a large number of deaths. I don't know. Without getting unbelievably political, I also, on top of watching a lot of news, I watch, you know... Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert and they really focus a lot on Trump every week or every uh, day and it's funny but it's also absolutely horrifying it's so scary because it, it does you're, I agree with you it makes me laugh like I love Seth Meyers I love a closer look I love all that stuff and I could watch him do that all the time but I have to remove myself sometimes and just watch fluff because I'm like this is too real this is so close to home now especially as a disabled watcher of all this stuff, like, it's just, it, it affects us really close. Mm -hmm, it does. And I think nobody's thinking about that. And that's why Quarantine and Chill is here to make sure we do think about that. Yay. <laughs> um, yay, sort of. Um, so, a sort of, like, fluffy question. As a disabled person and as somebody who's a stroke survivor, what is the best and worst parts of social distancing for you right now um i think the best is that i don't have that fomo i really can i feel very happy to hang out at home i feel like there's a you know even even though i was not going out a ton the fact that the world has slowed the fact that i don't ever have to go out and do anything i have more time on my hands and i'm like oh, there's so much good tv right now there's so many good movies I feel like Netflix is really just like oh you want pulpy queer content here you go <laughs> and I'm like oh okay thank you like um season four of Insecure is out now and I'm just I'm very very happy to hang out 
not feel like I'm missing anything and enjoy lots of great TV. Uh, the worst thing, I do miss seeing family and friends. I do not even like, I know that concerts are going to be a while off. I know that, you know, a lot of events are going to be a while off, but I, one time, uh, my family who they live in, like in a, a neighborhood on the east side of town, they're not that far away. They just came over because I had, I had an Obisform back pillow that my mom wanted <laughs> and it was so hard seeing them. I came down to the door and they were at, they, like I left the Obisform outside. So they picked it up and they went back to their car and I went to my door, which is at least, at least six feet away. And I just cried because it's, oh. you know, I'm not like, I'm, I mean, I love my family. I'm not like ridiculously attached to them or anything like that. I'm like, I'm attached to them in that they're my family and we, we care about each other, but it was so much harder than I thought it would be. And it's just, it's weird. And I haven't, aside from them, I haven't seen any people who I knew outside yet. Like I have, oh no, that's not true. One of my friends um, who lives in the neighborhood uh, had to go get groceries or something like that. And we did a little Romeo and Juliet where I'm up on my apartments on the second floor and he was down on the street and he said, hi. That one was more just like yelling because he was yeah. far away. <laughs> but it's, it's weird. And I, I think the thing that I'm scared of is once things have loosened, but before we have, you know, uh, a vaccine or before we have like a good stable sense of what we need to do to help people recover, I'm going to be scared to hug my friends. I'm going to be scared to spend time with my friends. I'm going to be scared to go out to, you know, the, the restaurants in my neighborhood that I want to support. And I don't know how long it's going to last. The kind of area where I will think, should I just essentially stay inside yeah it's like just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying about your family my birthday was yesterday and normally on my birthday on my birthday like I go see my mom we have a cake we have lunch we like spend the day together and I didn't get to do that this year and so we had to zoom our our, my my birthday together and we had to like she (laughs) said she sent me she had like vegetables in her house so she dressed up a gourd and took a picture of it and like send me that and it was really cute but I was like really sad because I was like I want to be with my family right now and I, and yeah. I was really angry that COVID like I was really mad at COVID yesterday because it didn't really feel like a birthday it felt like every other day so like I certainly understand the grief I understand how people are like I understand the stir craziness I understand the desire to want to just get outside and run away from all this but at the same time like we got it. We have to do our best right now, and it's it sucks. It definitely sucks. And so I, I understand when she sent me the gourd yesterday. On um, she's because she she dressed up a gourd, and we like sang a song, and then it, it was a birthday gourd. We named her Gigi, and so <laughs> right. And so I had a big cry after too because I was like, I want to see my. I want to hang out with my mom today. Like it's a, my birthday is a big deal because when I was born, I died a bunch of times. So when we. When we celebrated, it's like a, it's not a big deal, but it's big in, the, in that it's a birthday. So like not, yeah. to not to not have that was hard. It was really really. I mean, the only thing I can kind of hope, and this is again my like, without being extremely positive, definitely my like orientation towards trying to find the good or the meaning or whatever, is that I know at times I've taken you know people for granted. I know I've I've avoided hangs or calls when I just wasn't feeling up for it. And I think there is 
I still should keep those boundaries and I still should be aware of like my body's needs, especially, but seeing now that there are ways to stay in touch that are more accessible, that are like lower buy-in. Yeah. That's really good. And maybe it'll mean that I will zoom with my family more often. Maybe it'll mean like, I, I swear I'm spending more time with some of my friends and even like my cousin who was in California, who, you know, we'll, we'll chat every once in a while, but we've been seeing each other more regularly. It's, it's a nice chance for me to see like, okay, I really do value human encounters. I really do value being in contact with my family and I can do that even if I don't feel like I can make it out of the house. And COVID has definitely shown in general that there are ways to make everything more accessible and that those things do not necessarily have to be seen as less than. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the trouble with a lot of these accommodations before and even sometimes now, we're still seeing it as less than. Mm -hmm. Zoom is is not necessarily a substitute to being in person. It could be one of the best ways you communicate right now because everybody's safe. So it shouldn't, I agree with you, it shouldn't be seen as less than. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be treated with disdain versus like, yes, I want to see you. But if the safest way to do it is over Zoom, and if I can do it more over Zoom, why wouldn't I? And even, you know, like once we have a treatment or once we have a vaccine hanging out over zoom doesn't have to be less than i mean i'm sure we'll get into this in a little while but uh i i work in dating now and i'm encouraging people to video date and <laughs> people will often discuss you know video date versus a quote-unquote real date and i have to be like oh that right now this is the realest date you're gonna get and it's pretty good yeah and like the fact that people like the fact that people still want to have this, that kind of interaction right now is a like we should be we should be happy for that. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, all right, well let's jump right to that then. Um, so like you've said a couple times on the show, so already you're a matchmaker. Tell us a little bit about who you matchmake for in or your business, and tell me how COVID has played a role in your business as a matchmaker. Oh, it has it has played a role. I mean, honestly. There are very few industries where COVID has not played a huge role, but I do technically trade in hopefully making people kiss. So it's not (laughs) a good time for making people kiss right now. Um, So what I do, friend of a friend matchmaking, that's my company. Um, I do matchmaking in Toronto and Hamilton. Also at this point, kind of the Niagara region. So spread out a little bit. And I also do uh, coaching for like specifically dating coaching, but also I've kind of branched into relationship coaching. I'll get into that in a second. And then I, I also do specifically online dating support, which is anything around getting someone feeling comfortable and confident for online dating. So sometimes that's talking about how stressful it is. Sometimes that's making a really great, uh, profile or helping someone choose their photos sometimes that's uh also holding someone's hand and helping them figure out how to respond to messages or how to send messages in the first place and and a lot is also like helping people get from the online dating to the actual date so all of that's fun and um how is it affected uh matchmaking well people can't meet in person so i from I was actually at a matchmaking like dating professional conference on March 11th in New York. So that was the day, I think it's March 11th. Yeah, it was the day that um, I was out from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., came home or came to my hotel, sat down, turned on, it was a Rachel Maddow show. 
And it was, I didn't even watch the full hour, but it was preempted by uh, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson being diagnosed. Oh, yeah, that's right. That feels like a a whole other lifetime ago. Yeah, and then it was like in the NBA, like they're shutting down. And then Trump was like, okay, we're closing the European borders. And I was in the States and I thought, you know, I'm not leaving for another day and a half, but like, I could also just see if there's like a last minute bus ticket because I was super close to the to the Grand or not Grand Central Station, whatever the bus terminal was. I can't remember. Um, and I was just like, oh, you know, there's one leaving at midnight. It's like nine o'clock now. I'm just gonna pack my stuff up, you know, <laughs> grab a snack, check out, and go. And honestly, it was a good call because a couple days later, later they started discussing closing the U.S. Canada border, and that would have been bad. So, uh, but that day I was, we had kind of been talking about COVID. It wasn't officially on the agenda, but um, a lot of the talk about like the new direction of dating, even, and this was planned like months in advance before people knew about COVID-19, it was really about video dating and about how a lot of, a lot of like apps and websites had put at least into the works, the idea that they would have video dating as an option as opposed to you know, like a chat or message function, like something you could opt into. So really, I think I got, by the time I got home the next day, I sent out um, a newsletter that was just like, look, we're not, you know, like, we're not doing face-to-face dating. We're going to do video dating. Like I, I, from the jump, offer coaching around video dating for free for people. Um, But then also since then, I've launched a pay what you can coaching program, which is for non-clients who need support. And that sometimes it's about dating. Sometimes it's about relationships, like a lot of people who either do or don't live with their partner and how stressful that can be. And then also a lot of just, sometimes it's not coaching. Sometimes it really is space to vent to someone who's not your friend or your family member or your therapist, just to say like, this sucks. I have so many people who you know, maybe a lot of their social life was dating. Like there were the types of people who like board on a Thursday night, go on a Tinder date and that's not available anymore. And you kind of have to be, you have to be more alone and you have to be more in your thoughts. And then I and also, that's hard. yeah, it is. And then I also launched kind of a mini version of my online dating support program, which is just, it's to talk a little bit about people's, like the things that they feel are roadblocks or, you know, at least hurdles to, feeling happy about online dating and then helping them set up their profile and just kind of giving them email support for a month. Cause you know, like matchmaking is a way to meet people, but I also firmly believe in online dating. And I think right now this is a time where it's kind of democratized. Like nobody's out meeting anybody at a dinner party. Nobody's at the bars. If you're going to meet somebody, it's going to be online, either through a matchmaker introduction or, you know, through, through a website or an app. So I just want to get people to feel confident and like they're putting their best foot forward. So in that sense, it's been really good. And then another thing I've done, um, I've been collaborating with uh, Taryn of Match Mutual, Leanne of Love Coach Leanne, and Carmelia of Carmelia Ray, who are three local matchmakers and coaches in Toronto and we've been doing these kind of like free zoom events the first one we did was for daters 55 and over the next one is 40 to 55 and then we're doing a younger bracket as well coming up soon and essentially they're like there's a little discussion at the beginning of online dating and video dating but mostly it's a Q&A so it's people talking about 
their fears, their concerns, the things that they've had issues with. And partly we give responses that ideally do not necessarily fix the problem, but, you know, entertain some potential options for things that they can try. And I think, you know, I think, I think just to jump in there, I just think it's so important that you're doing that because we need space to, to just talk about what we're afraid of and how this is all affecting us. I think the fact that you're doing this in tandem with other people and kind of putting a a team together for people to just have that like COVID venting team. Well, that's the thing. It's kind of like, it's not group therapy, but it is, it's an opportunity for, and especially since the first one was, was people aged 55 plus, a lot of discussion about like how dating has changed and changed and continue to change. A lot of these people have, you know, like been in relationships before and maybe are feeling like they don't know what to do now because maybe the last time they were dating, online dating wasn't a thing. So I, I anticipate that there may be some differences between the different age groups. We really just broke it down because we don't want to have the groups be so huge that people can't actually ask questions and say what they feel. But I do also think that there will probably be some differences in like people's experiences and orientations towards online dating and video dating because it's it's weird at any age range, honestly. And I think there's a lot of a lot of things that people need to kind of just say out loud sometimes. I, I agree. And I think I think also we've been talking we talked a little bit earlier about like Zoom fatigue and like online mm-hmm. fatigue and the whole idea of having a date with somebody online after you've spent maybe six or seven hours online within work meetings and stuff like that. It's like, I don't want to do that. I want to like, I just won't. So for me with like dating or even like hooking up or like sexy app chats, I'm like, oh, I don't want to, like I, I spent the whole day on the computer already. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. And we're just, I mean, this is, this sounds like a very trite kind of like hot take from 2012 or whatever but it is true right now and I certainly am experiencing it that you kind of go from screen to screen to screen like I'm doing I don't have like a really standard nine to five job but I'm trying to you know like between emails and client calls and all sorts of business stuff I'm I'm online for a fairly long time doing work and then I'm like there's some meme that's like trying to turn off the bad screen and look at the good screen and it's like now I'm gonna watch Netflix or now I'm going to watch TV and watch the news or read, you know, articles on my phone or do some more like chats. I talk to my sister like honestly three times a day these days. Um, And yeah, it, it can be overwhelming. Also the thing I'm like when I'm coaching people more specifically around video dates, one of the things I really try to hammer home is that as I said earlier, like it is still a real date. You should still actually set a time to meet. You should still not ignore somebody and and be like reading something else in the background or like checking your phone constantly you should still you know just like treat it like a date whatever that is for you like if you wouldn't do it in person you shouldn't do it on the video date and it's about like a you know doing that but also like having that be the kind of expectation that you hold that's a great piece of advice for anybody doing a zoom thing right now cough cough news anchors if you wouldn't not wear pants on the news i then- use that example <laughs> <laughs> and especially so I, I don't know if you're talking about the same news anchor but there was one that was wearing like a full suit top with a tie yeah that was like he's wearing shorts nah he was wearing boxers um shorts I mean, is a very polite way of saying what he was wearing they were very short and i mean he was a, he was a, from what i remember he was a very attractive man so like good for you but also like dude put pants on yeah and like one of my things about the zoom calls like 
A, you should really think about your angle and your lighting and all that stuff and make sure that, you know, anything you don't want to be seen won't be seen. But also on the off chance that you get a, you know, someone rings the doorbell and you have to get up really fast or I don't know, like your candle lights your, you know, curtain on fire or whatever, you'll have to spring up really fast. And if you're not wearing pants, that will become apparent. Yeah. And like, wasn't there the newscaster, the the, the doctor whose husband was in the shower and like you could see his oh yeah ju- like junk which <laughs> be aware of roommates uh, mirrors <laughs> angles light mirrors yeah i know that's a huge one and i think it's been kind of fun to help people the same way when i do online dating support i help people kind of like really think about the photos they put out there and i i encourage people to not think of words like flattering to not think of you know the photos that make them look most normative but the photos that make them look most like them and really kind of tell a story and it's the same way I want people to use an angle that's like not going to necessarily make them feel like the quote-unquote hottest but like the most like them and also not right up their nose and to help people with lighting that's gonna you know not be right in front of them and kind of wash them out make them look like a ghostly appearance but but yeah things that that make them feel confident and like they look like themselves. It's really, it's kind of nice to do that because I think a lot of people just feel like video dating is so weird and different and scary. And in actuality, most of the things that you do as a dater, pretty much, you know, it, it goes across the board. So the only difference is that you want you want your angle to be and, and your whole setup to, to reflect you well. And then you, like you can't smell them. Like that's really- differences and it is different like not sharing the same space but I kind of think that sometimes being in your own space makes you more likely to to just feel comfortable and And to be yourself yeah it leads to maybe better conversations or you know like you're just a little more willing to go places whereas sometimes if you are face-to-face it can be harder to feel confident to go go a little deeper and I mean it it does kind of suck that just to kind of play on that euphemism it does kind of sound that we can't go deeper in the other ways right now but eventually if we all stay home we can do that eventually we just have to wait but honestly there's oh there's a lot of um a lot of things you can do online that are very sexy uh oh we got another caller coming in oh oh (laughs) oh i guess we'll cut that Uh, um what was i saying (laughs) that's what happens when you (laughs) I have another I have a, another wonderful person ready to interview in a minute for the show. Excellent. Okay. That's cool. what that is. But there we go. <laughs> uh, and I didn't realize that they would come in when I was doing one. Weird. That's uh, okay. That happens. Things, things I learn about Zoom as I'm doing it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Claire, I have more that I want to ask you fairly briefly, even though that happened. I will see how <laughs> we'll see how good of a of a cut person I am. Um, we'll, see. we'll see if that stays in or out. Don't know yet. Um, how, what advice would you give to, to, to non-disabled people going through this for the very first time? Welcome. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I think this is maybe even less about disability and more just about like going through a really intense, weird experience that a lot of people identified as bad. And frankly, at times was really bad. Like my experience in the early days of stroke recovery, you know, really being limited, not in ter- not only in terms of like, I couldn't leave the hospital, but like, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't use my hands. I couldn't, you know, 
eat food. I couldn't drink water. There was a lot of things that were really abruptly different and in a way that felt bad to me. It sucks. And it's okay to feel like it sucks, but it's also what is happening right now. And the best thing we can do is to acknowledge and not shut down our feelings about the fact that it's really hard, but to to try when you can to embrace it and try something new. Like video dating is a good example of something that's like, you know, this is what it is right now. Might as well give it a go. But if there isn't anything like that, it's maybe a good time to look into speaking to a friend or look into speaking to a therapist because these are things that are hard to work through. Yeah. And I would say during this time to all the non-disabled people, kind of check in with your own ableism and check in with where you are in terms of how did you consider how did you consider disabled people before all this? How, do you, how did you consider illness before all this? How did you consider closeness before all this? Well, guess what? Disabled people have been doing it, like, forever. Yeah. And, like, again, not to shade anybody and not to say that, like, you, our journeys, are, your journey is less than or, or mine is more than or anything like that. But, like, you know, consider all that stuff as we're going through this so that maybe when we come out of it, disability will be something you think about differently. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, I know I kind of said this a little bit before, but instead of thinking of video dates as less than a quote unquote real date, or, you know, a video concert as being less than a video or a real concert, um, hangs with your friends online being different and less than hangs in person. Let's think about ways where we can actually enjoy and integrate this accessibility going forward so that you know, maybe there are still going to be in-person concerts. It's not to say that that will totally end, but we'll have more experiences that people can enjoy online as well, that people can enjoy without having to, you know, try to book a wheel trans or like make peace with the fact that they're going to be exhausted for the next five days because they, you know, went Decided out. Decided to go to a concert, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I think this is a really nice opportunity for people to, one, get a little more insight into the, the more typical experience of people who you know like disabled people or people with chronic illness stuff like that and then to say huh well you know these are the things that made my life still feel really good while I couldn't go outside maybe we should continue this for the people who don't necessarily go out as much or don't feel like they can able to yeah 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 and I was like there's a to be ultra Canadian with you right now there's a Sarah Sleen concert uh next Saturday and she was supposed to do it in person and she moved it to online and I was so happy because I was like and same with Sarah like there was a Sarah Sleen concert a few a few weeks ago that she did from her bedroom over Zoom and I was like this is really this is how all concerts should be from now on mm-hmm. like yeah like I think it's it's so valuable to think of the fact that yes people you know people pay tickets to go see someone in, in person but if they could find a way to have some tickets available to do a live telecast that would be really good. Yeah, I totally think that like it would be really great for disabled people. Like I'm missing. There's a there was a Shit's Creek live show that I can't go oh, to, yeah. and I was supposed to go to that, and I did all this stuff to get there, and we had all this accessibility hullabaloo to get there, and then they postponed. Obviously, of course. And part of me kind of secretly hopes that when they do it, they'll offer like an at-home ticket that I can just purchase again or get or, or have that transferred over. Because as fun as it would have been to be there in person, I also would have loved to watch it at my house. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, frankly, there are going to be a lot of people, like, I think I will feel nervous for a long time going to 
you know, big crowded places, there I'm not going to be the only person. And I think this is going to become an alternate revenue stream that frankly is going to be necessary. So maybe capitalism is what will save us from ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Ooh. So weird to say, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, last question. Yes. What If you could speak right into the mic directly to our disabled family members or our disabled folks going through this with us right now, what would you say to them? What kind of advice would you say to them? What kind of like words of wisdom or just words of comfort would you offer them? I mean, I think kind of like piggybacking off of the last thing I said, it is okay to feel really fucking irritated and angry that all of a sudden the world can provide the accommodations and the accessibility that you have wanted for a long time. And all of a sudden it's not embarrassing to need to stay in. It's not embarrassing to say, hey, the Zoom call has been a lot. I need to go now. I've had a long day. These are like this kind of care for ourselves and this kind of accessibility is normalized now only because like the able-bodied majority and like even if you wouldn't necessarily consider them the majority, they, they like the culture of ableism um, has suddenly made space for it and, and, and kind of because it's what people want and what they need. So it's okay to be angry that for a long time, it felt like your wants and your needs didn't matter. And, oh, they only matter now conveniently when able-bodied folks need it. And I don't, I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of what I want to get across, that we have a lot of wisdom and experience dealing with it, with these kinds of experiences. And I think that is to our credit and potentially something that is useful, but also it's okay to be pissed off. And I think yeah. that very valid and a lot of us are feeling it i love how you're like you're the 10th you by the time this airs it would be the 11th show but you're literally the 10th person or the 10th group of people that i've spoken to on quarantine and chill that have said some variation of that exact thing yeah <laughs> i know and i knew it was kind of like that's the answer but i don't i don't know like i mean i don't really want to be trite or cheesy about this. no i agree with and i think it's it. just so important that people hear that from every single guest that's come on they're all saying on some way or another i'm fucking pissed because I, when we call for these accommodations before we were told how that's never possible what are you talking about now because no look it's totally possible so yeah and that's before you even touch on odsp and and like the, the fact that all of a sudden cerb is totally doable and you know uh, a living wage is two thousand dollars a month well you know, they, they still aren't really doing anything about ODSP. And I mean, they aren't. I mean, I mean, I'll be yeah. I'll be blunt. And ODSP for any Americans who are listening is like our social assistance here in Ontario. I mm-hmm. I got the CERB. I don't even know if I qualify, but I took that money and I I put it away in my bank account. And like next year when they when when I'm taxed for it or whatever. But at least I know right now I have it, and I'm gonna like I'm gonna just be quiet and hope that I can use it if I need it. But because it's necessary, and it's just it's so stressful and strange to see that. And this is also true of things like a, a universal basic income, which was something that we were piloting in Ontario. And then when the conservative government came into power, decided like, okay, we're not we're not gonna do this anymore. All of a sudden, these kind of radical ideas, like humans should have you know, the ability to live even if they are not able to, you know, work in a way that people consider to be appropriate. All of a sudden, it's fine because everyone needs it. Whereas taking care of the people who who need it 
most, like uh, people who are on ODSP or OW, which is Ontario Works, that's out of the question. So it's just, we, we have always been able to do these things. We just choose Didn't not want to. because we don't give a fuck about yeah. people who need assistance. And that is, I, I mean, that is a great, like, perfect note to end on because it's just so valid and I love it. And I'm, that's what I'm going to, that's where I'm going to end. Claire AH, you're one of my awesome friends and you're someone that I love sitting in community with. How do I, how can people get a hold of you? How can I promote your stuff? You can plug yourself and go, go to town. Yeah. So I guess like, it's interesting. These days I've kind of moved away from any personal social media. So friendofafriend.com, that's my website. Um, friendofafriendmatchmaking.com, friendofafriendmatchmaking on Instagram, friendofafriendmatchmaking on Facebook. And it drives me up the wall that it, there are too many characters. So it's F-O-A-F dating on Twitter. <sighs> just, <laughs> just couldn't get that one. Too many characters. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am. And it's, it's, my business but I do definitely share a lot of my personal stuff which these days is basically my pets and things that I cook because that's what I'm doing amazing this is so so uh so important and so fun and so so great to reconnect with you again um absolutely and I I love that we got to have a chat like this and and as other stuff that I'm doing around my sex toy brand starts, starts to grow and starts to get bigger I'm sure I'll be reaching out to you at some point. So Wonderful. It, it was it was so fun to reconnect and thank you for all your insights today and for the fun and important chat about COVID and quarantine and chilling with me today all about disability on Disability After Dark. Uh, Claire, this was fun and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, friend. And I really, really love sitting down with Claire. She was really fun and we had a good time and it was really important to hear from her and her views on COVID-19 as a stroke survivor. I would love to hear from you on your feelings about COVID-19 as a disabled person as we keep doing these episodes and producing this content for every Friday as part of the podcast. I'd love for you to be included in that. So if you want to be included in an upcoming COVID and uh, quarantine and chill episode with me, episodes episodes you know 13 through whenever if you want to if you want to be a part of that with me you can email us at disabilityafterdark@gmail.com and when i say us you email me directly and i'll respond to you i'd love to have you as a part of it put in the subject line quarantine and chill tell me a little bit about your disabilities tell me a little bit about your experiences with quarantine so far and we'll turn that into an episode And I'd love to have you. So send off those emails and uh, let's get more content for Quarantine and Chill right here on Disability After Dark. Thanks, friends. We'll be back for another episode of Quarantine and Chill on the Friday edition of Disability After Dark. You'll hear episode 192 of of our Thursday edition on Thursday. A lot more content through Disability After Dark is coming your way. And I'm super excited about it. And thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the show and supporting the work that I do here with this little podcast. Thank you so much. And we'll be back soon. Bye, friends. Copyright notice. 
Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020